Season 2, Episode 2. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. Helping the UX community explore ideas and share knowledge for over a decade. We are your hosts, James Roy Lawson. And Pat Axbom. With listeners in countries and territories all over the world, from Estonia to Madagascar. Today's interview was recorded at From Business to Buttons, which is a conference that is held every May here in Stockholm, Sweden. And we are talking with Tori Podmajerski, who helps teams solve business and customer problems using UX and content. She has written inclusive and accessible consumer and professional experiences for Google, OfferUp, and Microsoft. And she speaks, teachers, and mentors UX folks worldwide. She's also the author of the book Strategic Content for UX, Drive Engagement, Conversion, and Retention with Every Word. You can visit toripodmajerski.com to get in touch with Tori, read more from her and about her, find info on her workshops and classes, and of course, a link to ordering her book. So Tori, there, there's one thing that was a huge takeaway for me, because it's something I complain about so much, and that is like content management systems and the, those mm -hmm. big tools that we have. And they're not really flexible at all. And you had an example where you said, the only thing we could do with the software was change the text. Yeah. And so I was, well, that is what you have the power over. And it is powerful. It's incredibly yeah. powerful. I mean, the designs I was yeah. showing were not pretty. Right. They were, uh, I mean, they felt antiquated in 2017, I think, when I was working on them. And they were, you know, the framework had been built for it. It was interconnected into all of the systems. We definitely couldn't touch any of it without that house of cards falling down, yeah. except we could replace the strings. And I may have misled you that there was a content management system behind it. Oh, no. There was no, there was a file of strings. Mm. Oh, wow. So that's all we could change was recheck in yeah, that, yeah. you know, update in code, yeah. this XML file, check that in, do some testing, pray that it still works, push it to prod, yeah. pray that it still works. Right, you know, you yeah. you know, you're in a startup when there's that two prayer cycle. Yes, mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, and then we saw, and we had to do pre post testing because none of that had instrumentation for A B testing, and doing that pre post, it was still significant enough to say, we made a huge change here, and that was uh, that was critically important. We got more of the right re reports into the right category. And I mean, isn't that most of what we do is, as UX designers is like, we're looking for this behavior when you are in the situation. Great. Yeah. And to, uh, we've, we've mentioned in previous podcasts about how we've gone through a series of, of something first. You know, we've, we've, we've had like, you know, mobile first and, you know, oh. That we've now we're talking about like content first, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, we know we we constantly ignore all the firsts. No, we yeah. we just we just go back to you know 
pretty pictures first. <laughs> uh, yeah, now I'm being mean, probably. But well, sketch first, whiteboard yeah. first, draw yeah. the thing, tool first, Figma first. Oh, yeah. design yeah. system first. Yeah, component oh, first. Yeah. That actually drives me a little bit nuts. Um, there is a there is a great time and place for that. Like, oh, here's this solution that we have already talked about building, and it's about you know putting up this interstitial with the pattern we already know we're using because that's the only solution that anybody's going to code for us. Yeah. So we're going to pull that out and do it. Great, go straight to Figma for that. But if it's anything more complex, no, start with what what is it we're trying to do? Mm. <laughs> Write it down. What's the conversation we're yeah. trying to have? What are the key ideas to hit here? And then then you can open it up and say, oh, I have at least two good ways to go about talking about that. And that might even imply different interaction patterns, exactly. which would be really easy to sketch out. Like we can Sharpie those out right now. And then we can do some um, cafeteria testing mm -hmm. to say, oh, should, we, should we mock these up? Are we off track? It's so much faster and so much more valuable, in my opinion. At the end of your talk, there, there was a situation where you were supposed to be put on the spot and there were like screenshots. I don't know how prepared you were for that. Uh, but but it was so funny because it was everything that is wrong about UX. It's, please, this is the thing. Just tell me what I need to do. Yeah. And you haven't given me any context at all about what is this thing is supposed to do and who yeah. it's for. <laughs> and... I feel that we are put in that position so often. Yeah. And then you have to counter, but you did such a wonderful job of it, explaining, <laughs> asking questions back. Oh, pushback. It was pushback. Yeah. You so did pushback. It was, it was, it was pushback. never. And I knew yeah, that yeah. David was a very kind yeah. and gracious host, yeah. and he wasn't about to be offended. He needs pushing back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he does seem to welcome it. I've yes. never met him before yeah. this week, <laughs> but yeah. uh, but it was... It was like, okay, you're, you've warned me that you're going to put me on the spot. He did offer to show me the screens ahead of time if I wanted to prepare. But having done this for a few years, I know, like, there's no way I'm going to prepare to rewrite your screens on the fly. Exactly. Whatever they yeah. are, yeah. I don't know the context. Yeah. You won't know the context. And just to add some context, I mean, these were literally just screenshots. Um, from the internet. Uh, yeah, of, of, <laughs> yeah, from the internet of, of like model <laughs> interstitials with, with some text on, you know, very small amounts of text. And I, I guess the idea was that you'd, you'd rewrite that there and then or something. Right, you know, or at you're least a you know, give, it, give it some critique, like, Can oh, you, they could have... Yeah. Done X or yeah. should have done Y. Yeah. This word needs to be moved because you're a words person yeah. and here are the answers in words. But perhaps there is even a context where that was okay, where the screen they were showing was okay. You don't right. know that. And, yeah. I, and I, yeah. I was prepared for all of those eventualities, yeah. Yeah. including just turning to him saying, what's your framework to know? Like, you're presenting this as if it's a problem. What's your criteria for a problem? I didn't get to pull that one out. No. But that, yeah, I mean, the whole kind of, can you, I think you had a quote as well, can you quickly just write a thing for me? So we're, we're put into that situation of, of, of you know, polyfilling mm. with, with words you know, almost all the time. And I've got, <laughs> I've got the experience because I'm a native English speaker and I, I work often in Swedish environments. Then there's many situations where I'm the best uh, English in the yeah. room. Oi, what's the right English for this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, how do we j just translate these messages for me? Uh, and, you know. Oh, then you have to say, yeah, sure, because there maybe is no content writers or UX mm -hmm. writers. I mean, you are in that situation, the UX writer. Yeah, you um, are. Like it or not. Yep. 
So wouldn't it be great to have that included in your design system? Mm. To have like a framework for here's what we know to be good. Mm. Here's what we know to be, you know, the target. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a, a design system of any size that didn't include a type ramp. At least, you know, like, here's your top four levels of what you're going to use in terms of size and, and font and, and, that, and spacing. Great. And there's places where you break those rules, where you decide, oh, we hadn't planned around labeling something in this way, and I'm going to do a separate thing, and I'll, maybe I'll remember to add that to the design system documentation later, et cetera. So it gives you a target that you try to hit. What do you have for words? What is your target that you try to hit? And that's hard, right? And it's mostly not done yet. But where it is done, it's a whole lot easier to do. Yeah. So, so if we're in if we're in teams or situations or organisations where there are zero mm. content writers, UX writers, you know, what what are what are the first steps that I need to take? Because I'm this is yeah, the thing yeah. we 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 know that the words are going to be produced. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, absolutely. It's it's a, it's a given. There's just no. Mm -hmm. It's just not gonna not happen. So given that context that we've got the UX designers, the programmers, the product owners, all the rest of it, but no UX writers, what, what are the, those kind of life-saving steps to take and possibly even the steps that are going to help future me or future yeah. UX writer person when they do realize they need them? Yeah, so there's, there's a couple of things that I would – well, it's all very context-dependent. If you're working on a startup or for a, such a new product that you haven't even made decisions yet about – uh, logo or principles or anything else. You're in like a test environment of just exploration. There's not much you know yet, right? Maybe you haven't written down like even anything about like, we think it should be light colored, right? Like we don't know anything yet. But if you've done any of your user research or even market research, you probably know what are the key ideas that you need to be hitting, right? And what are the how what do you call them? And um, even just writing down, uh, how do we talk about our user or customer, whichever it is? How do we, like, what, are, what is the who? What is the when? What is the where? What is the how? Like, what are the key verbs and nouns? And, and this is something you can, you can capture from your environment. You can just capture from the environment. Yeah. Like, where am I right now? And if you are the designer on a thing and you don't know the answers to those things, that should be a red flag for you. Mm -hmm. Like, oh oh, we should call our users the same thing every time we refer to them. Mm. Right. If there's a key verb, actually, I really like uh, Sophia Prater's object-oriented UX for yes. this yeah. because it's the nouns and the verbs that make up your experience. So if you have a pile of nouns and verbs that you know you should use, great. You have a great start. Put them in a document of some kind that you might actually use and be able to find later. Hmm. Those are all hard problems to solve, but it's a good place to start. Because then when somebody's like, I just wrote error messages, and you look at them and you go, but that's not, oh, you're saying they were trying to do X when really we use this other word for that. Hmm. Yeah, And then it's you get a little bit better. Hmm. So as soon as you get beyond that, then like maybe you're working within already a fully-fledged design system. Maybe you're part of a, a greater design team. You say, hey, is there a way we can uh, 
just look at the, can we search the strings that are already exist in the product? So anytime I'm writing about a thing where it's like, oh, here's a new feature or a, a tweak to the feature and we're bringing in this idea. Um, what's an idea that you would, you would add to some kind of product? Like It's always chat. Oh my goodness. Always. Okay. In the end. So, so there may be other things. <laughs> Chat's a great example. You may already have in your um, experience notifications, messages, chat. You might have something else you call chat. Um, you might also have alerts. Mm. You might have all of those things, and it actually means one experience. Mm. But if you can search your string for synonyms for the new thing you're building and uncover like, oh, here's where we've been inconsistent in the past, mm. or uncover like, oh, we're consistently using this word over here. I want to avoid that because that's mm. a totally different concept. I'm going to use this here. And you need to create some space. And you create some that, space yeah. really intentionally. So it's about like, what is the problem you're trying to solve? And being aware that the words are part of your solution. And how would you, how would you attack this problem what, what problems would you anticipate if you're like, oh, I'm going to use this icon. Well, it's super similar looking to this other one that has a totally different purpose that you're not even aware of because a different team is developing it. Same problem. I keep thinking now, how many times at this conference have they said, please download our app? I'm thinking mm -hmm. about how many times have people gone into the app store looking for the app that does not exist there because it's a web app. It's a web page. Oh. Mm. Exactly. And I know so they use this word that. app. And of and course, where do people go? Yeah. They go to the app store yeah. every time. Yeah. Which, which in, yeah. So in context wise, you know, what language would work here at, you know, when you're in amongst lots of UX designers, web app almost certainly would work, I think, as, mm -hmm. a, as, a, as a phrase. But in other contexts, maybe it wouldn't. Right. But here, it probably would. Yeah. So mm. you have to modify. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Very nice. And I, I noticed several times, I love that about your talk. You're also very sensitive to reflecting on the fact that some of your examples were for English language yeah. and that it's different. Because I was thinking sometimes about the, the number of words you can have on a button, mm -hmm. uh, things like that, and how wide it can be. Uh, I immediately started thinking about when I worked for the big energy company here in Sweden, uh, which also has a presence in Finland. And none of what we did worked in Finland. <laughs> because they, they're long and the words are so very, very long. Yeah. Yeah. We found um, when I was working on Xbox and we worked very, very closely with our localization team there, we found that um, German would almost always break our designs mm -hmm. first. Um, and then it took longer to get the Russian translations back for whatever reason. And then we would think we had fixed them and then Russian would break them. Yeah, I've, I've been there with and a bank. And then yeah. we found out that the Russian translations for Xbox were being done in a formal Windows sort of tone. And we said, hey, can we ask the localization? And this was a long time ago, right? This was much less localization infrastructure had been built out. And casual tones were a pretty new thing in software. So asking very sweetly for the Russian translations to be like, no, 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 say it as if you would say it at home to your brother. And you got the same thing back? No, oh. we actually got a different thing back. And they were much shorter. Oh. And everybody was much happier because our uh, people who spoke Russian who worked on Xbox just kept saying, this is just, it doesn't feel like doesn't feel like xbox yeah 
Oh, but it's wow. interesting. But, but mm. it's fascinating to yeah. think about that kind of cultural thing. It's like you, you've got a global brand, global thing like the Xbox, and then you know, like how how you communicate at home. That's mm-hmm. that's very cultural, you know, context right. based. Right. Yeah. And you had to. We had to ask that. Actually, there's a, a screen I worked on for Xbox, um, uh, which is a privacy screen, and we were uh, at sign in at sign up. Your first time turning on an Xbox or your first time adding a new account to the Xbox, if you had the Connect sensor installed, um, it would show you a live video of yourself and show that it had set, it was associating this with you with like a little flag above your head that said, this is you. And it would say, you know, do you want to use, uh, do you want to sign in this way? And, uh, and I, and I had to disclose that this will this can recognize your gestures this can recognize your face or this can you know sign you in automatically this can you can use your voice and i said something like uh the final string that shipped 10 years ago was um you can uh s- start playing xbox before you turn on a light or put down your sandwich mm, yeah right because we also had to get we had to get the light in there because it was using IR sensors, so it could actually see you enough to recognize you with just IR. Yeah, yeah. And your hands could be full, and so I was in the room with the regulatory attorney and the other attorney and the and the designer and the everything. And we're like, and we had spent uh, many weeks trying to get this three pages of legal text and requirements distilled down to a screen. And we called the localization team from that conference room, back when conference rooms had phones, yeah. <laughs> and, and said, please find out if put down your sandwich will work in, in all of these languages. Like, will it? Because also in Xbox, it's like, make me a sandwich is a gamer thing that was part of the culture at the time. Mm. So we wanted the sandwich if we could. Yeah. Mm. And we heard back in 20 minutes Yes, we can go with sandwich in all of our languages. Wow, everybody it was loved a strong it, enough yeah. cultural yeah. reference. Yeah. Okay, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Because <laughs> yeah, like everybody loves a sandwich, yeah. and it was appropriate for the audience. So it was like yeah. okay, oh, sandwich. That's really cool. <laughs> it it was really fun. It's one of the best strings I ever wrote. <laughs> Food related uh, legal strings. That's uh, that's, that's a niche strings. area. But that only happened because my attorney partner on it kept saying, like, I came up with many things that were short and would work. And I was exhausted. Mm. And this was one of many features I was working on. And he was also working on many other features. And he kept saying, but it's Xbox. It should be fun. Mm. We need to remember that they're here to have fun and we mm. need to always reflect that. And I'm like, Damn it, I'm being schooled on UX from my attorney. (laughs) And it was, and he's so good. I would work with him again in a heartbeat. But then, but those kind of moments are where your job's done, kind of. In that, Mm. if you've gone to that level of teamwork with, you know, colleagues, then you've broken down the silos. Right. There's no silos there. It was just like, we got to make this work. Mm. (laughs) You know, it's, it's Avengers Assemble. We got this. Mm. Yeah, you're already well past the the you know the schooling bit. The you know you've seen yeah, they're schooled yeah. back. That's you know that means yeah. you've done probably right. the reverse job. The, the seat at the table has been there. We've pushed the seats mm. back. We've worked at the whiteboard. Mm. You know, there's a whole lot more to do once mm. you're in the room. Mm. It's fun. 
So just being able to communicate what your intent is to other languages as well was really interesting to, to understand. Throughout your talk, you had words, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of words and, on the screen. Like, <laughs> and everyone's always looking for a checklist. You almost mm -hmm. gave them a checklist, but you were very good at explaining that you may think you know what concise means, but this is what I mean with it in this context. You may think you know what conversational means, but this is what it means in this context. So you were essentially building a controlled vocabulary for the audience mm -hmm. to interpret your messaging. Yeah. Yeah, and trying not to overwhelm them with putting all of the mm. details of it on the screen yeah. and having them read. Yeah. Turns out people tend not to like to read. <laughs> uh, unless it's reading for pleasure. Yeah. Right? Or for the wordplay or the, the... I mean, there's good reasons to read. Getting through a talk, that's <laughs> not much of the theater. We also had a question about... That was an aha moment for me because you had a question at the end for the audience mm. about controlled vocabulary where nobody mm -hmm. raised their hand. Mm. And honestly, that surprised me uh, it, because it's something we've been talking about for a few I years said, now. I, I remember, oh, yeah. oh, more than that, I remember, God, when was this? We must be going back to 2003 or four when, you know, controlled vocabularies were, were really hot mm -hmm. back then. I mean, especially in intranet circles and stuff, which I'm I was sorry, working with a lot. Just meant, you just said 2003 or four. I did. Mm -hmm. That was 20 years ago. What don't, do you think the average... That. I'm going to do it. Oh. <laughs> what do you think the average age here is of this conference? Well, I, and our listeners oh, now listen oh. to this podcast. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I do realize what you're doing to me oh, now. I see. Um, I, I see what you mean. What I'm, what I'm bringing up is maybe it's time to bring back these conversations yes, because there's so many more people in it. Yeah. I mean, think about even 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. You, the UX field was still small, and every conversation had some version of, why can't I get in the room? Why do they ask yeah. me to, you know, the PM comes to me at the end. Mm -hmm. They keep telling me to make it pretty. Yeah, we, we had a I mean, conversation a number of years ago now with um, Donna Spencer. Um, and and we, we, we came up with the idea of that, well, reintroduction to information architecture is, you know, what you kind of, some of these things that, those of us have been in the industry for a while. We we seems to come and go, and it's mm -hmm. coming back again. But um, the the understanding's not there anymore. And I, I, I guess this is a consequence of some of the way that UX you know boot camps work, education works, um, that we're 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 pushing to Figma in many situations very quickly, especially in the junior roles. Mm -hmm. um, and and these concepts that we're talking about, like control vocabularies and information architecture and so on. No, it's, they came it, before we went to the interface, really. Yeah, yeah. and they did, yeah. and yeah. they came mostly from the content world. Yeah, mm. like we had to have all of those things, mm. um, and then uh, and the content world, like the content strategy world and the technical writing world, all of that was required by regulation. All of that was required by. I mean, I, I have a talk where I take people through, like, here's the first user interface I could find. And what it is is text, right? Here's the, it's, it's a graphical user interface. It's on the screen and you need to use, or I'm sorry, it was even pre-screen. It was um, a census machine that was electronic that had tiny labels on all of these metal keys. And it was, it's, it's really pretty astounding. And the interface is made up of this grid of keys and tiny little labels. It's oh, all wow. text. And you had to know what that text meant. And it had a two or three page document of how to use it that is inscrutable. So hard to understand. Mm. 
Uh, and then we get things like uh, WordStar on old CPM machines. And there's, um, like, you guys are nodding. Yeah. And <laughs> and I remember using it. And I remember mm-hmm. that I really wanted the the keyboard surround that had all, all of the, the shortcut keys. Yeah. Right. That had uh, all of the labels. All of that is UX writing. Yeah. Because it's that. It's that stuff. So UX writing has been around a really long time and rarely gotten the attention that it needed to be consistent or good. Um, and and now we're coming full circle again and being like, oh, turns out that matters. Turns out that information architecture, because that's all that was, right? It was, oh, we need to put things in categories that people will remember and understand. I guess in some ways it's it's... It's natural in a sense back then when you've got um, so many physical constraints mm. that you know we weren't going to be able to design a new keyboard or a new control panel or whatever. Yeah. But you know, putting a new row of of labels, you know, <laughs> taping it on top of something else mm-hmm. that we could put, going back to your example with the um, you know the options in you know in, in, the, in the XML file that you you yeah, change yeah. text of it's this, it's back to that kind of basics of yeah. you know what can we change without you know causing lots of disruption to the production of everything else. The scaffolding has to stay up while we tweak something. Like the, all the payment machines in stores. So many of them have actually post-it notes or yeah. tape messages on them. And that's, that's the fix. Yeah, but now, of course, with, 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 the, with the web browser, then the design possibilities are now endless. Right. So before we had very constrained situations where it was a keyboard of a little strip we can put a new you know set of labels on. Now we've just got a you know a whole wide Anything, world out there. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. it it makes it a lot harder. And I think about that um, that explosion of possibility mm. with like, look, you've got this two dimensional space. You can still use language and all of its multi dimensional power, mm. and you've got uh, color and layout and primacy and right direction and picture and all of these things mm. great and we've gotten so that we've systematized a lot of that and there are norms that is hard to to start using as an adult and be like why why would these three dots in a row mean something different if they're up and down versus on their side versus three lines how how would you know and you have to be taught these things if you didn't grow up with it so we have that and now we have AI, right? We have a new tool. We, we did not know in Netscape 3.0. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those were ugly websites. Uh, we did not know that we would have this robust language of interaction design then that we do now. Like 2003, 20 years ago? Um. It, it existed on the internet, hilariously. <laughs> I made some of those pages. They're terrible. And yet they worked. And they advanced things. So we're about to have uh, much more access to very powerful tools that require an enormous amount of energy, like climate change producing levels of energy. And we want to use them, like much like the internet creates uh, climate change producing levels of energy, or I'm sorry, creates, uses that much energy. So we have another one of these things happening. What would we like it to be? Could we do something beyond wealth extraction with it? Seems like we'd be able to do that. That'd be cool. I'd like that. 
Oh. I, I just went full communist I like that. So, man, so, uh, I mean, <laughs> Sorry. That positive messaging that we can actually play a part in deciding what these tools should be used for and how they should be used mm-hmm. instead of just leaning back and, and in horror and saying, oh, I don't want this. We can actually... Right. Be, take initiative. Yeah, exactly. Instead of yeah. letting them be prescriptive. I mean, you know, if we, we mm-hmm. could let these tools be prescribed to us. Yeah. You know, there's tool B and you need to do, use it for X. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have it to doesn't be. It doesn't have to be. No. no, I mean, we... Uh, so let's go 20 years ago again. Did you misuse things like PowerPoint to do interactive prototypes? Because you could like click from slide to slide. I've done that. Oh we've, yeah, we've, we right? remember we've well, we did it. I remember us doing it at, at um, UXLX in 2011. Yeah, as far as you know, guerrilla research and you know, taking yeah. a, um, a presentation out on an iPad. Yeah, um, it works beautifully. Was it intended for that? Nah. No. I mean, could it be used for evil? I mean, that would be way too much work to use it for evil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like the AI takes a lot of work. Can you? Can you use it in ways it wasn't intended for? Mm. It's harder to do because the explicit um, goal from the AI purveyors, I'm not speaking on behalf of Google, by the way, um, but the explicit goal I've heard in the news is you should be able to use it for everything. Mm. You tell us what you want to use it for. Exactly. And that is a little bit weird to me. Like that raises a red flag. I think any of us that have done... Of being there during user research or usability testing or, or so on, will or done contextual or contextual observations, um, you you'll have seen and realised that people do all kinds of things. I mean, there's 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 not never been a session I've been part of where you haven't gone, oh wow, they they <laughs> did that. Hmm, I never mm-hmm. thought of the fact you could even do that <laughs> but you i know. always feel like i need to do eyebrow exercises before i go and watch these things mm. because it my eyebrows will just keep climbing up my forehead mm. going oh i mm. didn't see that coming yeah. mm. but it's and as, as we know it's, it's that you know constant reminder that there are more possibilities with the things you create than mm-hmm. you realize at the time of creation mm-hmm. always that's that's one of the things that um very much strikes me about large language models is that they work towards uh, the mean, right? They work towards the average. What is the most common thing here? It is not terribly surprising to me that if you think of um, the the gendered aspects of uh, language presentation, that chat GPT has been compared uh, a lot to men and how men talk with great confidence and great uh, and that is that is the norm of how a lot of marketing content on the web, mm. I mean, which is for the part of the internet that is not porn, the most of the rest of it is marketing, mm. geared towards being um, geared towards the the groups that are seen to be the the most in control of the money, the most in control of the power. So, is it surprising? what chat gpt sounds like no not at all exactly. and I, I guess that's the positive note to end on mm-hmm. we don't have to be afraid because they will not take our jobs no <laughs> no they can't make these decisions exactly. they can yeah. just regress to the mean mm. and that it, it's that's like 
I do not feel the need to compete with such mediocrity. Mm. <laughs> I just said that, that in a really a fancy great. way. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yes. Nice. Yeah, we stopped that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tori. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was an awful lot of fun. <laughs> Listening back to that chat with Tori, I kind of I kept writing down or coming back to context. There's a, you know, multiple times we talked about context and um, how important it was from many different aspects. Um, for, you know, culturally, cultural aspect um, to you know, just oh, cultural context, general context, design context. It's just their context and how important that is. Mm. Um, it's Xbox. It needs to be fun. I, I love how she shared that. Her lawyer, lawyer actually saw this as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and localization teams. But um, we, do, we do do a lot of no-context design. Um, I, I think in some ways, the way that we have a more production line way of working with design in many organizations and, 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 um, and so on nowadays does... I think increase the chance that you are going to be in a contextless situation. Um, I actually don't think we can avoid it completely. No, I, I don't think so either. And I, I mean, maybe you shouldn't have to avoid it in all situations either. But I think a big risk from from a design system perspective is that design systems actually support working out of context because you say that you're saying essentially that this widget can be used in a lot of different contexts, but you may not then actually do the actual research work and the testing that you're supposed to do because you're assuming stuff because the, the design widget already exists. Yeah, and Dory alludes to that in a conversation we had mm. um, you know, about going back and updating your documentation to, to explain new context or to, to, to reveal more contexts where something else might be more appropriate. It's, um, yeah, that's really not easy, this. But I, I really liked as well, though, how um, Dory now in our presentation, actually created a, a shared vocabulary. Yeah, we we talk, you talked about you brought that up in the in the interview. Um, so in order to create context and improve the understanding of her audience, then you know, she was aware of the fact that the words she was using might not be the words that uh, were used in the way that her audience would expect. So she then explained that and created that shared vocabulary so they could go forward together and improve communication. It is improved communication. And I love that conversation we had about controlled vocabulary and the realization that it's really difficult because from a communication science perspective, you always need to get the feedback to to know if the person is understanding the message you're giving them. But in the, within the context of giving a presentation, you're not ha- getting feedback constantly because you're actually giving a presentation over 30 minutes maybe. And, that, and then you have to set the stage and make sure that do are people understanding what I'm saying and you can help them understand with the controlled vocabulary. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining this could also be the case, of course, that she's actually doing the research after her talks and talking to people. What parts did you get and did you not get? And being really attentive to hearing what people are interpreting and what words they are having trouble with. Yeah, because, of course, like you said, if you, when you're actually uh, performing, when you're actually putting the presentation on, then, then cognitively your your mind is somewhere else. Yeah. So so you're not going to be able to... to, to it's not a conversation in the same way as like me and you were having now where you respond um, to the context of here and now. Exactly. You're having to be more planned and deliberate about it. Mm. And that, that, um, that was a you know, useful way of, of taking control of that. Mm. 
And also one aspect of that controlled vocabulary conversation was this, that so much of UX work perhaps is internalized within us and we don't bring it up often enough because you, you went back 20 years <laughs> and realized that we talked a lot about controlled vocabulary back then, but maybe haven't in the past 10 years. And so many people have entered this, uh, this trade now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's um, what, what 20, mean, 20 years means to us mm. is a different thing to what maybe you know, the passage of time means to, to, to someone else in this industry and what they've experienced and what they've done. Yeah. So yeah, it's a um, really interesting reflection about what we, what we did know, what we do know, and, and when stuff needs to be you know, brought up to the surface a bit, you know, a bit again to revisit it. Exactly. And I just have to, I just love the fact that we can change so much of the experience by just changing the words. Yeah, it's all about the words. Recommended listening. The, some people came up during our interview, and you may want to check out Sophia Prater's um, uh, talking up to, with us about object-oriented UX. That was episode 135. Yep. And then there's also uh, the reintroduction to information architecture with Donna Spencer. That's episode 286. Yeah, so 135 and 286 mm -hmm. of season one. Um, you can go back to, scroll back to and listen to. And if you want me and Per um, as part of your next conference, um, event, or even in-house training, then we're offering um, workshops, talks, and courses to inspire and help you grow as individuals, teams, and organizations. Um just get in touch with us and um, start a conversation by emailing hey at uxpodcast.com. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. What did the grilled cheese sandwich say to the date? I don't know, James. What did the grilled cheese sandwich say to the date? <laughs> not to not to the date. To their, to their date. date. I They're meeting you... someone, you know, like a yeah, had... like a restaurant. You know, they, you know, they've gone out for dinner. They're kind of it's the first time. The grilled cheese sandwich is there, and then they, I don't know, maybe it's a uh, maybe it's a salad. I don't know. When they're there and they're kind of chatting away, and like, you know, what what did the grilled cheese sandwich say to their date? <laughs> And the answer is, you make me melt. <laughs> <sighs> I resign.